Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. How do we help Gen Z find truth in a confused culture? You know, one of the things that we're facing as a generation right now is moral and spiritual confusion, and that's becoming increasingly clear from the research. We partnered with the Barna Group uh, to do our volume two of Gen Z research that we released earlier this year. And one of the things that we found was just the increased moral and spiritual confusion. And so that's what I wanna highlight and talk about with you today. As we all know, this last 12 months has been challenging and especially challenging for the next generation. And so we wanted to take a look at what are the things that are shaping them and what do they believe about questions. And so we'll get the opportunity to unpack some of that together today. But I want to start with a passage of scripture that comes from the book of Colossians, which talks about an important principle and command that the Apostle Paul gives us. And he says this, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him, being rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. That's Colossians 2, 6 through 8. But that's a helpful biblical foundation that will help us understand some of the challenges facing not only Gen Z, but also our culture as a whole right now. And so one of the cultural observations that I want to make is just kind of a dynamic that's playing itself out as Christ followers. This is something that we encounter and experience as we train the next generation and something I wanted to share in light of the data that I'm going to share in a minute. Um, Professor John Lennox says this, society tolerates the practice of the Christian faith in private devotions and in church services. So pause right there. What that means is, is okay, in your own mind or in your own place of worship, you can hopefully keep Christianity there but no further, right? It says, but it increasingly deprecates public witness, anything outside of that. To the relativist, which we'll talk about in a minute, and the secularist, which is someone who tries to explain all of life and reality without anything related to God or anything supernatural, public witness to faith in God smacks too much of proselytizing and fundamentalist extremism. They regard it more and more as a threat to social stability and human freedom. That's just part of what it means to be a Christian in a post-Christian culture where we're at right now. And so one of the things that we're seeing is even just biblical claims, there's nothing extreme about them other than their truth claims. They're seen as extreme and they're seen as limiting freedom, which is the highest good right now, defined as the ability to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it without the consequences that go with it. And that's just the highest ideal right now. And so Christianity which makes claims about the world and reality and God's good design and commands, all of those things come to bear on reality and those things come together. So how do we help Gen Z navigate that well? What are the tension points they experience? What do we experience as followers of Jesus? And in some ways, Gen Z is at an interesting crossroads because morally and spiritually speaking, one of the things that we're seeing is just an increased moral and spiritual confusion. I want to share some of this research with you that we've also compared to our Volume 1 study even four years earlier. Two-thirds of teens, that's Gen Z, and young adults, that's 65% of 
agree that many religions can lead to eternal life, compared to 58% in 2016, which is a significant jump even in that short time among Gen Z. So let that sink in. Almost 7 out of 10 teenagers agree that many religions can lead to eternal life. That's the dominant view around us. You know, one of the observations that Carl Truman makes in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, is he says, our social imaginaries, the way we envision and imagine the world, as Christians are often too little different from that of the culture that surrounds us. So what does that mean? It means when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, in John 14, 6, that's a truth claim. And yet, many of the conversations around us, the media, the assumptions, are this increased pluralism, this idea that many religions can lead to God, and that's manifesting itself in dramatic ways in this next generation. There's an erosion of truth when it comes to any sort of religious claim, and as we'll see in a minute, any sort of moral claim. So how do we engage this idea? How can we think biblically about this? And I want to share kind of an illustration that will hopefully help you navigate this particular challenge, because as Christians, we're called to live out Jesus' command and, and announcement that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, because that's the good news of the gospel. He's the only one who can diagnose the problem and provide the solution to the sin and the death that is, that is killing us, literally, um, and spiritually and ultimately physically, which is how the Bible describes sin. And so how do we engage a claim like that? This is an illustration that's kind of the who's waiting for you at the top of the mountain illustration. Okay, so... Do all religions lead to God? Is that actually true? If we're not going to be taken in by those empty and hollow philosophies of the day, not based in Christ, not based in Scripture, then we need to be able to respond to this. So here's an idea on how to engage this and think about this particular claim. Do all paths lead to God? We'll consider our mountaintop here, all right? So let's just take three different religions. Let's take Buddhism, Hinduism, and Christianity. So who's waiting for you at the top of that mountain? So one of the things that we'll see is as you climb up that mountain, one of the things you'll find is similar teachings in the foothills. Ethics, be good, some version of a golden rule, something like that, okay? They're going to define it a little differently, but you're going to have some of those commands broadly based in the foothills. But the further you go up to the top of the mountain, here's what you see. You see very different teachings on the nature of God, the nature of reality, sin, salvation, heaven, and hell, just to name a few. And so as you go up the mountain, as you investigate these religions more carefully, you see they teach very different things about the nature of salvation and reality and eternal life. And at the very top, who's waiting for you? Well, in Buddhism, technically there is no God waiting for you at the top. Um, it's broadly atheistic in its, in its orientation. In terms of Hinduism, there's many gods. There's literally thousands of gods, and God is ultimately impersonal. So that's a different God waiting for you at the top of the mountain. And then lastly, in Christianity, you have the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who's personal, waiting for you at the top of the mountain. So if we just simply ask that question, who's waiting for you at the top of the mountain, if the claim is that all religions lead to God, and that belief is so common in our culture, this illustration and thought experiment shows us that's not the case. Or take this, for example. Later on today, you're going to hopefully have some food. And the question before you then would be, would you put both of these on your food, these white uh, granular substances? You might want a little more information. Okay, got you covered. What about now? How about salt 
or cyanide. How do we think about that? Well, it turns out that the differences matter far more than the similarities. So yes, there are some similarities in the foothills of the great world religions and traditions, but the further you go up, the more clear and pronounced and different the fundamental claims are. And the differences matter far more than the similarities. So that's just one way to think about that spiritual relativism that's happening in our culture right now among Gen Z and that we encounter every day. Another example for, based on our new research was the moral confusion that continues to speed up in the next generation. And this is just really important for us to understand, not only because there's team members or as a parent or at church or anywhere else, you just need to understand these things. We've seen an increase from 25% to 31% who strongly agrees that what is morally right and wrong changes over time based on a society, based on society. And another 43% agrees somewhat. So that gets you up to about 74% that basically says morality is a moving target. That's going to have some pretty significant implications on just life in general, culture, but also uh, people's flourishing as a human being as God designed it, right? And one of the things that I like to do here with this number is actually flip it to the inverse to show us something very important. What this data shows us is that only 10% strongly disagrees of Gen Z that what is morally right and wrong changes over time based on society. That's your 10% of convictional people who say right and wrong are fixed. There's an objective good, an objective evil. Those don't change around the winds of culture or different trends or what's popular or what's palatable, right? That doesn't change. So about that 10% is the convictional. And as we looked at Colossians 2, 6 through 8 at the beginning, what I want to call us to and invite us to as followers of Jesus and what we need to do for the next generation is invite them to be a part of that 10% and maybe grow that number, right? Because that's the convictional 10% who think right and wrong actually exist, okay? And there's a time and a place in how we talk about that and engage people around moral and spiritual claims, but that conviction has to be there if you're going to live out the Christian life with any degree of confidence, all right? So that's really important. The bottom line then, what we found is that moral relativism hasn't just crept into the worldview of Gen Z. It is now the majority opinion. And that's just something we need to reckon with and to be honest about. Maybe we wish it was different. In fact, we do. But if we're not engaging this well, then we are not preparing the next generation well, and that erosion will continue to occur. You know, the book of Isaiah says this, the prophet Isaiah, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. This is still God's world. God is the king, and he creates the rules. He is the one who has made humanity in his image. He's made reality to function a certain way. All right? And so we have the opportunity to call this generation and live ourselves in a way that pursues true goodness and true beauty along the way. And that's something we need to pay attention to. So how do we think about this claim, for example, in light of all this moral relativism? You know, we've ever driven down a road it's pretty narrow-minded, right? There's one way. You can go this way, or there's that way, and there's collisions in traffic patterns if you don't go the right way. All right, People can't just make this up as they go. So the, the little principle I want to give you this morning to help you think about this is that people are entitled to their own beliefs, but they're not entitled to their own truth. 
You see, truth is what corresponds to and matches up with reality. It's telling it like it is. Just because you believe something doesn't make it true. Whether or not that's if you're from a different religious background um, or a, if, if as Christians, just because we believe the Bible is true, it doesn't make it true. Reality makes things true or false, right? So we have a whole generation and a culture, honestly, right now, who is saying, look, just because you believe something a certain way or you feel something, that becomes your truth. That's not the way it works. Now, people are entitled to have beliefs, but just having beliefs doesn't make things true. Maybe to put it a little bit differently is this idea of skydiving. Now, I'm not going to be doing this anytime soon. I'm terrified of heights, but if, if someone was to jump out of a perfectly good airplane, you're going to hope that parachute was packed properly, right? Because at some point, sincerity is not enough. When it comes to big questions about God and salvation and eternal life and morality, right and wrong, good, God's good design, all those things, being sincere doesn't change reality around you. And we all know this. And sincerity is not enough. Whether or not you were pulling that ripcord and it wasn't properly packed, or if you're driving down the road and somebody sincerely ran through a stop sign because they didn't think it applied to them, there's going to be moral and spiritual consequences. That's just the way reality works. And so part of our job as mature followers of Christ in training the next generation is to help them see that, look, spiritual reality doesn't just bend itself to your desires and preferences, and neither does moral reality, right? That's something that exists independent of you. And you either can cooperate with it or break yourself against it. But that's not going to buckle or change just because you want it to be different. And so that's part of what we need to do for the next generation. So let's revisit this passage that we started with at the beginning and apply it to our lives. So then, Paul says, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, that's by faith and by grace, right? Continue to walk in Him. Like, keep living out this faith. How? Being rooted and built up in Him, in Christ, and established in the faith. That means there's revealed truth. These aren't things that you can just believe one day or not believe one, another day if you sincerely believe something else. They don't, the truth of that doesn't change based on whether or not anybody believes it. It's either true or it's false. And as Christians, we believe that it's true. And then it says, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude because it's the way of salvation. It's the way to human flourishing. And then this is the key. Be careful. Watch out. Be on guard. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, and this is the key, based on human tradition, based on just human ingenuity alone, human preferences. That's the temptation, and it's more subtle today than ever to just allow these philosophies that are in many ways anti-Christian or undermine a Christian worldview to seep in. And it's really important as followers of Christ that we do what Paul and God's Word tell us to do, and that's to base our worldview, our discipleship, not on the world, but on Christ. And that's pivotal at this moment, that we lead well, we love well in that direction, and we call the next generation to that as we equip them to do so. So it's really important that we do that. In the coming months, there'll be another opportunity we're going to share more about these insights about Gen Z and other um, research that we found around emotional lives and technology and screens and different things like that. But we wanted to start by sharing this update around the moral and spiritual lives of the next generation because it's so foundational and there's so much pressure right now as a culture around those questions 
that those are indicators that we need to meet, make sure that we're taking these things seriously and equipping the next generation and walking well. So what I want to do is pray for us. I want to pray for you um, that we would do this well, that we would be faithful to what God has called us to do. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to open your word, to think about not only the culture that we're in, but the kingdom of God and how that plays itself out all around us. Father, we pray for the next generation. We are grateful for the opportunity to invest in them. We love them. There's always a next generation coming. I pray that as everyone watches this right now, that they would be encouraged to walk well in the way that they were taught, rooted and built up in Christ. Lord, may we be found faithful to pass on this faith to the next generation. Lord, may we stand for truth. May we stand for clarity, in courage, and in love, because that leads to human flourishing. May you empower us to do all of this by your grace and by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live.